road. It will take you to the website. The website's working. The, the internet's working. So everything's all good today. So if you're a note taker, you want to take a picture of that, it will take you to the sermon notes, the notes that I have. At the end of it, you can take your notes, and at the end of it, you can email it to yourself and uh, keep those notes for those of you that like that type of thing. For those of you that don't, you should get on the nerd train with me and the other nerds because it's fun. But if you're not, that's okay. So <laughs> I was thinking this morning that I knew Coach Carroll was going to be singing uh, this, this week, and I was thinking that maybe, just maybe, we might have found somebody that Lisa could be taller than, but we, <laughs> but we did not. <laughs> It was close, though. It was close. <laughs> this, morning, this morning, I'm going to move on. Lisa's giving me the desk there. This morning, <laughs> we are celebrating the resurrection this morning. Uh, it's a great Sunday. We celebrate it every Sunday, but we place a specific emphasis on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. We'll be in 1 Corinthians very quickly. And the thing that we're looking at today is avoiding a futile faith. Avoiding a futile faith that the resurrection is essential. So where are we in the story of, of Jesus? Jesus has been arrested, found not guilty by Pilate, but the crowd demanded his crucifixion. He's beaten, he's crucified, killed on a cross. Evil and darkness, as we just sang, celebrate as though they have won. <laughs> He's laid in a new tomb purchased by a wealthy man named Joseph. The disciples are dazed. They're defeated. They're distraught. And then word starts getting around. The women went to put spices on Jesus' body, and he wasn't there. And Peter and John go, and he wasn't there. The stone was rolled away. The guards had left. The body is gone. All that's left behind is the grave clothes. And, and every one of his followers that hear this truth, that the body is gone, and the tomb is empty, every one of them that hear this, they are confused, and they're wondering, what does this mean? What does this mean? And we pick it up. In Luke chapter 24, just going to read through this before we get to our scriptures for today. You can read along with me on the screen. This has all happened, that the word's getting around, and then there's two fellows that are walking along that are disciples of Jesus, and they're talking about this, like, what in the world's going on? I, I heard their body's not there. What is taking place? Have they stolen it? What, what is this? And then Jesus comes up and starts talking to them. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. They stopped, the two that were walking. And the one named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus asked, What things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They replied, He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. 
They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the women said. But no one has seen him. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to experience all these sufferings and then afterward to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going on to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, then gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while he walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. Amen. They hurried, they, excuse me, they left all at once and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples when they found the eleven and the other disciples all together. They overheard them saying, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. Then the two disciples told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus had unveiled himself as he, as he broke bread with them. While they were still discussing all of this, Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes. Startled and terrified, the disciples were convinced they were seeing a ghost. Standing there among them, he said, Be at peace. I am the living God. Don't be afraid. Why would you be so frightened? Don't let doubt or fear enter your hearts, for I am. Come and gaze upon my pierced hands and feet. See for yourselves. It is I standing here alive. Touch me and know that my wounds are real. See that I have a body of flesh and bone. He showed them his pierced hands. And feet, and let them touch his wounds. The disciples were ecstatic, yet dumbfounded, unable to comprehend it. Knowing that they were still wondering if he was real, Jesus said, Here, let me show you. Give me something to eat. They handed him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and they watched him eat it. Then he said to them, Don't you remember the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you? I told you that everything written about me would be fulfilled, including all the prophecies from the law of Moses through the Psalms and the writings of the prophets, that they would all find their fulfillment. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. Then he said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied about me. Christ, the Messiah, was destined to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem, for you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Jesus led his disciples out to Bethany. He lifted up his hands over them and blessed them in his love. While he was still speaking out the words of love and the blessing, he floated off the ground into the sky, ascending into heaven before their eyes. And all they could do was worship him. 
overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy, they made their way back to Jerusalem. Every day they went to the temple praising and worshiping God. That's Luke's account of what happened. (laughs) And everything's been different ever since. The whole world has been different ever since. And as we get into these scriptures today and we look at avoiding futile faith, that the resurrection is essential to our faith, I want us to think about these four questions as we dig into these scriptures. One, did Jesus commit sin? Two, if not, then was he then a perfect sacrifice without blemish or defect? Three, did God accept his perfect sacrifice, proving sin had been forgiven? And four, how do we know? That's what we're looking at this morning. Hopefully we get those questions answered for anyone that may have those questions this morning. And for those that feel like they already had that answer, may we be strengthened and revived to go out and live that truth as Jesus told us to do in those scriptures we just read. Lord, I come to you today and I pray that your words are spoken today, God, that I decrease, that you increase, that salvation is proclaimed and salvation is received and salvation is expressed by someone this morning, God. We pray it in the matchless name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, your perfect and holy Son. We pray it in the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. So let's read these scriptures together that we're digging into today. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians at the very end of his first letter. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. For I have passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me, toward me, was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim... And so you have believed. What a word. What a word. Let's dig into it this morning. Paul first off starts there at the end. The end of his letter. With wanting to clarify something. He says now finally everybody. Because remember these, these letters that were sent to these churches were read out loud. Just like we read them out loud now today. They were proclaimed. They were preached. He said now I want to clarify for everybody. I want to make it clear. And, and the wording he uses there is, is very Symbolic of how a a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, would be passing on truth from God to those that were listening. That's what he is saying. With the authority of an apostle, I transmit authoritative teachings to you. That's the, the wording of what Paul is saying here. And you have believed these truths that I'm clarifying and reiterating. I'm clarifying and reiterating, but you've already said you believed these when I was there with you in person and shared these with you, and you said that you believe these truths. But I'm clarifying and reiterating to make sure that you understand what it is you are believing. So you say that you believe them. At least I think that you did, Paul is saying. 
Time will tell. Time will tell if you believed in vain or not. See, he says here, the way this is worded is, we don't exhaust the meaning of salvation by our experience as we first believed. It's an ongoing, the way it's worded in the Greek, it's an ongoing, continuing salvation. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a one-time thing as far as it counting, but it's a continual thing as far as God keeping us saved for the remainder of our days. So, we first believe, but salvation goes on from strength to strength and from glory to glory. There should be a continuing testimony that we proclaim with our lives as we continue to go. And the word there he uses that most of the time in English is, is translated vain, in vain, is eek in the Greek. Right? Eek is how you say it. Without cause or without success. In vain. For no reason is what Paul is saying. I don't know, unless you believe for no reason. And what specifically is he trying to say? That there's a whole gospel. And then if you miss that last part, then you're missing the whole point. That's what Paul is saying. So if you only believe this part, but you don't believe this whole part, you're, you're believing in vain. It's without success. It's for no reason. And then he says at the end of that first little section there, he says, For I passed on to you as most important what I have also, also received. This is the most important part of what it is to follow Jesus. And I received it, and I passed it on to you. For I passed on to you... What was most important, I also received. In other words, this is the model of discipleship. You hear the word proclaimed, you receive the word proclaimed, you pass on the word proclaimed. It doesn't stop with you, right? There's a river that comes in and there's a river that goes out. The word comes in and the word goes out. If the word stops going out, then you are going to be living a dead spiritual life if you were not discipling and going on in your belief in Jesus. He says, for the gospel that I proclaim to you, that's what Paul's saying here, it was the whole gospel, the complete gospel, and your faith must be sincere in that whole gospel. If you leave out an element of your faith, then your faith is in ache. It's without success. It's for no reason. It's in vain. And here's the whole complete gospel, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And that's a great gospel. And gospel just means good news for those of us that don't know. That is the greatest news that has ever been shared with mankind. That Jesus did this. You say, well, what, where in the scriptures does it say this? When, when Paul and those in this time were speaking of the scriptures, they were speaking of what we now call the Old Testament only. They were talking about that. So it's, he's saying that there were things that said that this would happen in the scriptures. I'll give you a few examples. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, one of the greatest passages of all of scripture. Hosea 6, 2, Jonah 1, 17, Psalm 16, 10. We could go on and on. But those specifically talk about what Jesus did on the cross. But the entire thing points to our need for a Savior and God's goodness that he was going to send that Savior. The whole thing does. And then right here when it says he was raised, this is for the nerds out there that are with me. When it says he was raised, that's ergergete in the Greek. It's in the passive form. In the passive form when, that, when it's a passive raising. In other words, Jesus didn't raise himself. He was raised by the Father when it's in the passive, right? And, and it's an activity of the Father raising the Son. That's numerous times in Paul's letter he talks about that. It's, the, it's an expression of the glorious mystery of the beautiful trinity of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in, one in essence, three in persons. 
And it's in the perfect point, too. The perfect tense, the way it's said, which means it's a permanent thing. So the father raised him, and he raised him once and for all. It's one and done. So what, what are we saying here? What, am, what have I been alluding to this entire time? Some of you have picked up on it, and you're ready for me to go ahead and say it. Here's what I'm saying. Faith in the resurrection is vital to vibrant, eternal life, transforming faith. Faith in the resurrection is vital to vibrant, eternal, life-transforming faith. And some of you say, duh. Okay, good. That's true. And some of you are like, I'm still not sure. Well, hang with me and let's keep going. How much difference did what took place, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, how much difference did it make for those that were there? For those that were affected. Well, Paul goes on. He doesn't stop with just the gospel. He goes on. He starts with this. He says, and after all that, and that he appeared to Cephas. Who is Cephas? Cephas is Peter. Simon. Simon Peter. Cephas. Same person. Different ways to say his name. Same person. Who is Peter? Well, Peter, Peter goes on. He goes on here real shortly after this and preaches a message that 3,000 people get saved. Peter goes on to tell, hey, you can tell me to be quiet, but I ain't going to stop talking about what I've seen and heard. That's, that was the Peter after the resurrection. Who was, who was Peter before the resurrection? We can go to Matthew 26. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, this is when Jesus had been arrested, you certainly are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. You sound like a Galilean, you country bumpkin. Then he started to curse. This is Peter. Then Peter started to curse and to swear with an oath. I do not know that man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That was Peter before the resurrection. Scared, broken, with no hope. That was Peter. Well, what about, what about the rest of the twelve? Peter wasn't the only follower of Jesus. Well, well, that's what Paul says. And then he appeared to the twelve. To Peter, but he also appeared to the rest of them. The ones that he was closest to. What about them? Weren't they brave? Weren't they expecting a risen Jesus? I mean, we, we hear this account so often now that we, 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 we get this big head like, how could those stupid disciples not know Jesus was going to resurrect? Didn't, didn't, weren't they like waiting outside the tomb? Countdown. Here he comes. Is that what the account says? No. That's not what it says. Here's what it says in Luke a little further after, before where we were. The women. <laughs> I love that part. Who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph, the rich man that was burying Jesus, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. After Jesus was, was confirmed dead on the cross, he's taken down to observe the law of the Sabbath. And, and Joseph asked Pilate if he can have him and put him in this tomb, fulfilling a prophecy, by the way, that he would be in a tomb that had never been used. Put him in a new tomb. And the women were the ones there and followed Joseph and saw his body placed in the tomb and the, and the stone rolled in front of his body. Not the 12. They're not there. They ain't got their boys back. The ladies did. Don't, don't miss how revolutionary that is, that that's in the word of God 2,000 years ago, that the women are given the props for stepping up and being there, not the men. They weren't anywhere in sight. Why not? 
Here's a simple truth. Here's why they weren't there. Because they expected the dude that they saw die to stay dead. Like everybody else that has ever died stayed dead. Except that they had just seen Lazarus get brought back to life by Jesus. But cut them some slack, all right? Cut them a little slack. You wouldn't have been there either, and neither would have I. You'd have been scared to death just like they were. What am I saying? I'm saying they didn't expect a resurrection. They didn't expect it at all. At all. They didn't expect it. Here, here, we just read this earlier. Here it is again. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. He appeared and said to them, Peace be with you. What do they think? Oh, Jesus, you're back. We knew it. Right? No. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost because they weren't expecting this dude to come back to life. You say, how not? Because you wouldn't have either. Because people don't die and then come back to life. It doesn't happen. But then he's standing there in front of them. They're like, well, this is a ghost. Right? We can go back and pick it up uh, after the two on the road to Emmaus. We come back and pick that up where we've already been. They can't believe it. So Jesus, being the gracious Lord that he is, just settles them right down. So what we read at the beginning. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts raise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. Look at the proof. It's me. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. I have flesh and bones. I am real. I am a person. I am a, I'm a human being. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe. Catch that? All right, he's a ghost. All right. He says we can touch him. Touching the hole in his hand. I still, I don't know. It's still a trick. That's what it says right there, right? They've touched him and they've seen 41. And while they still did not believe it, but because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do, do you have anything to eat? All right. Now, this is the test, right? I mean, a ghost, he might could manifest way, some way that we could like fill him into, I don't know. But there ain't no way that a ghost could eat something, right? You have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then it says, verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that, it, that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is the way of saying what we now call the Old Testament, the scriptures. It all, God said it had to be done, but it was a little bit mysterious. Why? Well, because he's an eternal God, for one, and because there is an enemy. We ever stopped and thought about that? I mean, he couldn't just plainly say it, right? He's, it's, this is a war that God's fighting, and he's proving how much better he is than Satan again by this crazy plan, this awesome plan, this unbelievable only God could do type of plan. It says right there that, just like the scripture said, just like Paul is telling the Corinthians, right? That's what Jesus said. Now Paul is telling them the same thing. And then, and then it says this, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. I love, I love that verse. He's like, hey, now when did this happen? Probably right before his ascension. That's probably when they had this many people together, right before he, he goes back to heaven. He says, hey, Paul says, hey, listen, here's what I told you. Here's what the scriptures have said for hundreds of years, what happened, and here's what happened, and I'm telling you that that's what happened. But if you don't believe me, 
And over 500 people you can go ask. They're still alive. Go check it out. See if we're all lying. What are we gaining by this? We're getting rich and famous, so maybe we're making it. Oh, no, that's right. We're going to die. Most of us poor and paupers for saying that we believe this. We get no worldly blessing out of it, hardly whatsoever. But we're still saying we believe it. Why? Because the dude was dead, and then he ate a piece of fish right in front of me. And when somebody says, hey, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life, and then they actually do it, and then they stop and eat a piece of fish in front of you, it tends to leave an impression. It tends to change the way you view everything. At least it should. Why do I love this verse so much? Because I'm a nerd. And, the, and faith in Jesus is not a mindless faith. It's an intelligent faith. It's, it's, a, it's not a factless faith. It is a faith that has facts. The, the documents, the letters that make up the New Testament, they were not written as religious dogma. They are written as documenting events because the writers of the original documents were documenting the events they had lived through. That's the way it reads. Why? Because it happened, and they couldn't help but talk about what they had seen and heard. They saw Jesus alive, and everything, everything changed from then on. And then Paul goes on. He says, then he appeared to James and all the apostles. Because there's more than just the 12. But he, specifically James there. I love that part. Who is that? So you know. Who's James? Jesus' brother. That's Jesus' brother. What about him? Surely he was on board with Jesus, the Son of God. Here's what it says in John 7. For not even his brothers believed in him. This is way before. This is early in the ministry. Right? I don't know, bro. That dude is nuts. You hear what he's saying? He's crazy. I ain't believing in that. <laughs> right? What? Wait a minute. His bros were a no? Why were his bros a no? Would you believe your brother if he said he was the son of God? <laughs> Some of your brothers may have said something like that growing up. I don't know. <laughs> if your brother said that he was the son of the living God, the son of man, Essentially saying he's God. If your brother said he was God, wouldn't he have to do something pretty spectacular for you to believe it? I don't know, maybe even something like God-like for you to believe if he said that he was the son of God. You're going to have to do something. Hey, I ain't just taking you on your word, bro. Like, I saw you when you were 13. I ain't seen no God-like stuff back then. So you're going to have to do something to open my eyes and my heart to make me believe that you're going to be going to die and come back to life. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good one. Mom, you hear this? What do, you think, what do you think Mary was doing? She's probably sitting back like, yeah, we'll see. She knows, right? How does she do that? I don't know. Well, here's what it says in Acts. This is just right after, a few days after Jesus has, has ascended. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, there it is again, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, just a couple years before, nope, I'm out on that, bro. And then after he has us resurrected, 
and ascended, now they're there. They're part of it, including James. They're all part of it. Why have they flipped? Why? Well, or, or, or what else? What else about James? What, 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 what else about James? This is in Galatians. This is Paul talking in Galatians to a different church with a different letter. Then after three years, he'd been missionarying for three years, I did go up to Jerusalem. He's proven his chops again like he, like he always had to to these people. I went up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, to get to know Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days, stayed with Peter for 15 days in Jerusalem, getting to know each other, showing that I was truly an apostle. What happened actually happened. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James goes from, nah, I'm out on this, to seeing his brother alive after he saw his brother die and goes on to become the leader in the Jerusalem church. And write one of the coolest, in my opinion, one of the coolest letters in all of the New Testament. I love the book of James. It's amazing. Why? Well, say it once, I'll say it again. Because faith in the resurrection is vital to vibrant, eternal, life-transforming faith. If you don't understand that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and came back to life, and you don't remember that part, then your faith is futile. The resurrection, it just, it seals the deal. And then Paul goes on. Ooh, I lost my place there. Sorry. And then Paul goes on. says, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Why does Paul call himself abnormally born? He's talking about becoming an apostle. He didn't become an apostle like everybody else. To be an apostle, you had to see the resurrected Christ. You had to see the resurrected Christ when he was on the earth as a resurrected person before he ascended. That was the deal. That's what it meant. And to be an apostle meant that you were sent out to spread this message. But Paul says, hey, and, and last of all that he appeared to was me. And I'm abnormally born. I'm an apostle, but I, I can't believe God lets me do that. I can't believe he calls me that. I can't believe he's using me because, hey, I, I wasn't there. I was on the outskirts, but I wasn't really there. I didn't believe. Not only did I not believe, I didn't like this guy. And I certainly didn't like his country bumpkin followers from Galilee. A bunch of Nazarenes. Couldn't stand them. And they're walking around saying, this guy's the son of God. He can forgive sins. God can forgive sins. This dude can't forgive sins. They needed to die for their blasphemy. But for some reason, God saw it fit to use me. And so Jesus, after the ascension, after all that, after Paul has arrested and witnessed martyrdom of followers of Jesus... God comes down. Jesus comes down and appears and says, hey, bro. I just say, hey, bro. Sorry. He said, hey, why are you persecuting me? I got plans for you, man. You're going to be the evangelist to the non-Jewish world. Whew. Praise God. You and I wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for this. Paul decide, God decided to use this guy, and that's what Paul's saying. Hey, he appeared to me, too. In a weird way, it was weird, but it happened. And I went from arresting and killing Christians to professing faith in this guy. I believe he forgave me of my sins and is going to give me the gift of eternal life through that faith. And I am going on and telling the world about this. And I'm going to be beaten and shipwrecked and whipped and killed eventually. I'm going to go through all this stuff. But when a guy that you were killing people for saying they believed in him pops up out of nowhere, blinds you, and says, hey, you're going to go do this for me? Man, it changes you. Paul finishes, he says, For I am the least 
of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I was the worst of the worst, and now God's using me. It's insane. But, God's, but by God's grace, I am, I am what I am. We should, we should all like write that on our bathroom mirror. By, but by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not ineffective because I tell you, once he changed me, I went to work is what Paul's saying. I know how bad I was and what it means for God to forgive me. So I'm fixing to get to work. I'm going to do something about this. I didn't deserve his grace, but I'm going to work my tail end off. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything, church. It changes everything. It's the answer to everything. It changes everything. It makes life worth living. It's the answer. What does it mean? Well, Paul goes on in this letter. I'm almost done. I know some of you are getting antsy. Just chill out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> I'm almost done, I promise. Stay with me, please, because this is, this is some good stuff. Paul goes on right where we are in, in Corinthians. And if Christ is he says, hey, if you don't believe in this, you're missing it. Because if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have already placed faith in him but have died, those that have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. They're just dead. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Right before this, in between where we stopped and where I picked it up, Paul, Paul, Paul says, hey, if Christ hasn't been raised, then us that are proclaiming it, we're liars. And now he goes on to say, not only are we liars, but we are fools. Why? If it is only about this life, would you live for Jesus if it's just about this life, like go live it up. Go enjoy it. He says later on in a different place, like eat, drink, and be merry. Like get on about it. Why would you sacrifice and give up anything in this life if it's just about this life? But if it ain't just about this life, things change. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all have been made alive. It says he is the first fruits. What does that mean? There's more to come. When you give your first fruits, it's because you have a big harvest coming. You give the first fruits to God. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. There's more to come. Sin came through Adam to all. Salvation through Christ to all who believe. All that have faith in this gospel died, buried, and resurrected, according to the scriptures. Not to all. Listen, church, this is the part you got to hear, right? This, this faith in this gospel that gives salvation and resurrection power, not to all who say a prayer. If it's just step on some toes and it hurts some feelings, that's all right. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that you have Forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life if you've said a prayer. If you find that in Scripture, then we can have an argument. But you ain't going to find it. It does not say that. It says if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ according to this gospel. And faith is hope and trust in action. It is not just mere words. It is not come down front, say some words, and that's it. It is dying to self and living for Christ. It is faith. It is real. It changes your life. 
It should change our life right now just as much as it changed their life. Because, listen, if it was true for them, then it's true for us. Amen. That sin has been forgiven and death has been conquered. And, yeah, death still has sting right now. Don't let anybody throw that scripture in your face. Well, you know, death has no sting. Yeah, it does. Death hurts right now. But when you remember the resurrection, you know that it, here someday real soon, death is not going to have any sting any longer. Whew. Man, it, it, it doesn't say because you modify your behavior a little bit. It doesn't say because you come to church and act like everything is perfect. Actually, Jesus didn't like those type of people. Call them hypocrites. Here, here's a newsflash. It ain't perfect. This life ain't perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. Jesus was perfect. So we don't have to come in here and pretend like we've got it all together because you don't and I don't and nobody does. But we have faith in the one that does. Because faith in the resurrection is vital to vibrant, eternal life transforming faith. So I finish with our four questions. Did Jesus commit sin? No. Then if he did not commit sin, was he the perfect sacrifice without blemish or defect? Absolutely. Did God accept his perfect sacrifice proving sin had been forgiven? How do we know? How do we know? I love the way Tony Evans says it. This is how we know. The resurrection is your receipt that God accepted Christ's payments, payment for your sins and for mine. That's how we know. And that's why it's got to be part of it. And don't let everybody, anybody ever try to talk you out of the power of the resurrection. Because without no resurrection, we're all here just singing songs and wasting our time, to be honest. The resurrection is what it's about. Yes, the cross had to happen. Yes, sins had to be forgiven. But the resurrection proves that the sins were forgiven. And God has the power over death. If Jesus didn't commit any sins, and the wages of sin is death, then Jesus couldn't stay dead. Because God would be a liar. I'll preach. Faith in the resurrection is vital to vibrant, eternal life, transforming faith. Which leads me back to one last question, and it's the most important question you're going to get asked today. What does the resurrection mean to you personally? Individually, what does the resurrection mean to you? In general, it means that there's more to life than just this physical life. It means that there will be a reckoning with the Creator God. Accounts will be rectified. But if you don't have faith in Jesus, catch this, it means you're going to be judged for your personal righteousness. And you're going to come up short in that department. I can guarantee you. But if you do have faith in Jesus, in his sacrificial death, his burial, and his God-ordained in the scriptures resurrection, his witnessed by over hundreds and hundreds of his followers resurrection, then you have everlasting hope. Amen. Because you will have Jesus' righteousness placed on you at the moment of judgment. and He ain't coming up short. And you will be rewarded, follower of Jesus, for the completion of the good works that God ordained for you in eternity past. You will be rewarded 
for completing those good works in his name. That's a God I'll give up, get up every day and live for. I'll mess it up, I'll fail miserably, but when it comes back around to it, when I'm reminded of that, of that truth, then I'm going to live for that. And you should too. If you haven't, come down during this song, and we'll talk about it right now. God, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins on the cross, God, and you proved your power over sin, you proved your power over death, and you proved your goodness in the fact that you want to give your righteousness and the gift of eternal life to those that place their hope and trust in you and in that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.